Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson have all but wrapped up the 2023 Rookie of the Year races. But what about 2024? Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, freelance baseball writer and podcaster, and thank you for making this your first listen every single day. To the everydayers out there, excited to have you on this journey. Welcome back. If this is your first time listening to the show, do us a favor, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're free and available on all those platforms, Spotify, Google, Apple, all that good stuff. If you're on YouTube, special welcome to you. Do us a favor, like the video. Leave a positive comment. Always like seeing those. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the notification bell so you know when we drop a new episode. 2023's Rookie of the Year just about wrapped up. Gunnar Henderson is the favorite in the American League. Minus 750. The broken hand of Josh Young really made that into a one-man race. Tristan Cassis is holding on a little bit, but it's Gunnar Henderson's award. In the National League, it is done. Corbin Carroll, minus 5,000 odds on FanDuel, the official sports book of the Lockdown Podcast Network. That is finished. And I wanted to take a second to look at the 2024 Rookie of the Year candidates. We're going to try to predict who might be in both the National League and the American League. Who might win? And then at the end, we'll talk about some of the pitchers because you never see the pitchers coming. And you never they really struggle to win this. But in the National League, I think you're probably going to have to look at some of the outfielders. There's a lot of really highly regarded outfielders in the National League that could be the guys next year. Uh, One of them, obviously, Pete Crow Armstrong. We talked about him in our Cubs show we did last week. uh, That was last Friday's episode. I'll leave a card right here if you want to click and see our breakdown of Pete Crow Armstrong. But I think the other option, the one that we haven't necessarily gotten into a ton recently, other than acknowledging how good he is, is Jackson Churio of the Milwaukee Brewers. Something, the reminder here is he's 19 years old in double A. And so we talked about him briefly yesterday in the second segment when we talked about how the changing of the baseballs from the first half to the second half has really juiced production for a lot of hitters and leveled the playing field for a lot of these guys. The full season stat line, for Jackson Churio does not scream amazing to you, right? 105 games in double A with Biloxi, 280, 333, 464, 19 home runs, 41 extra base hits, 33 walks to 95 strikeouts, and 34, 40 on stolen bases. But if you look at what he's done in the second half, when it was back to the normal baseball and not the tacky baseball that gave most pitchers an advantage, Jackson Churio has gone absolutely nuclear. 34 games, 340, 390, 571. Eight home runs, 16 extra base hits. That's 24. Eight home runs, 16 extra base hits, 11 walks to 26 strikeouts, and 11 to 14 on stolen bases. Jackson Churio is almost the consensus number two best prospect in baseball for a reason. The only place that I've seen that did not have him at number two was ESPN. And I believe Kylie McDaniel had Colson Montgomery at number two 
and Jackson Churio at number three. And I am a big believer in Colson Montgomery. I have him in Dynasty. I am holding him. I have fended off subtext or Mark trying to trade for him multiple times. But even I don't have him rated above Jackson Churio. Just what Churio has been able to do in every single facet of the game. At age 19, it's 70-grade power. It's 70-grade speed. It's at least an average arm. He's had some elbow injuries in the past, and so they've been cautious with that. They haven't really let him do a bunch of airing it out and trying to get the outfield assist, just hit the cutoff man, things like that. But the potential's there. And the defense has been above average to plus, depending on the ballpark and how things are going. But Jackson Churio is going to have a really good opportunity to come up next year, it is a very crowded situation. If you look right now at what Milwaukee's doing in the outfield, Sal Frelick is your starting center fielder. I've seen him like I've seen him batting third or fourth a lot of days. Christian Yelich leading off playing left field, DHing sometimes. You've got Tyrone Taylor playing a lot of right field. You have Joey Weimer, a backup center fielder and bench piece right now. And then On the IL, you have Garrett Mitchell had shoulder surgery back in May. And you've got a lot of pieces there, but then trying to turn around and add Jackson Churio too. That's where the risk comes in trying to predict Rookie of the Year now. I'm assuming they're going to make space for him rather soon, but you never know. They may make a trade. They may leave him in the minors for a little while before they do finally bring him up. But if Jackson Churio is up long enough to be eligible for Rookie of the Year, And again, you're incentivized to bring your prospects up. I do think he has a very good chance at being in that top five, that final few guys left at the end of the year we're discussing for rookie of the year. Uh, Ronnie Mauricio of the Mets, I think, is another option. I don't want to group him in with the outfielders. He's played some outfield in AAA, but he's really shortstop, second baseman, possibly third baseman. His 114 games in AAA this year have been absurd because he's gotten much better with his swing decisions. 292, 347, 504, 22 home runs, 55 extra base hits, 35 walks to 96 strikeouts, and 24, 30 on stolen bases. It's something I don't know what's going to happen with those Mets simply because they've talked about 25 to 26 being their contention window, and they do have major leaguers signed to long-term deals to play second base. They have multiple options at third base, like a Bating and Vientos, and Some of this depends on what do you do with Pete Alonso, things like that. It's an option, but if there's an infielder you're looking at as far as who's going to be the guy in the National League that's not an outfielder, I think you have to look at Jordan Lawler of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And we're going to have a show later this week with Millard of Locked on Diamondbacks talking about this farm system. But in Jordan Lawler's 99 games in the minors this season, as of time of recording, 267, 370, 478, 17 home runs. 44 extra base hits, 53 walks to 96 strikeouts, and 35 of 40 on stolen bases. The hit tool, I think, is plus. The power tool is somewhere between above average and plus. His 90th percentile exit velo in AAA is like 102, but his max is like 105. So a lot of that small sample size, you can see some of that in in his pit, like his performance versus individual pitches. You can see. There are some issues, but there's also some small sample size noise. He has not, if my minor league dashboard for StatCast is correct, he has not hit a slider in AAA yet. Now, granted, he's not been there an incredibly long time, 
but he's not hit a slider in AAA, and overall, breaking pitches so far in AAA have been his weakness. Some figuring out to do there, but I do think ultimately it is a 60-hit tool. It is either a 55 or a 60-power tool. And then defensively, plus speed, plus arm, I think the defense is somewhere between above average and plus. You get into a really interesting scenario where you have a Gerardo Perdomo, you have Kettle Marte at second, third base has been, right now it's Jace Peterson, but do you move, do you kick someone out to third base? It's You've been platooning Evan Lagoria and Jace Peterson, who you got in July via trade. But do you try to kick Lawler out because the arm is plus? Do you kick him out to third base? What exactly happens? It may be something similar to Gunnar Henderson this year, where depending on how you configure the infield, he plays third base sometimes, he plays shortstop sometimes. But either way, it feels like Jordan Lawler has the tools to compete for Rookie of the Year next year. And to be, as of now at least, late August, before September call-ups, a really good candidate for being in contention for Rookie of the Year next year. In just a minute, I want to get to the American League. And it feels like this one's a little bit more infield heavy than the National League. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at LinkedIn Sales Navigator. If you're struggling to close deals, it's probably because you're relying on cold calling. Cold outreach is wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller at every single stage, especially when sellers are using outdated and shallow data. Now, your organization can overcome the challenges of this poor data with technology, and ideally technology that can provide comprehensive high-quality buyer data, and then translate it into real-time insights because those deeper insights can give your sales reps and teams what they need to adopt the habit of top performers and lead to better outcomes like a bigger pipeline, higher win rates, and larger deals. LinkedIn calls this deep sales, and they've built the first deep sales platform with their next generation rollout of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. So right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash locked on. That's linkedin.com slash locked on for a 60-day free trial of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Let it help you sell like a superstar today. Go to linkedin.com slash locked on to get started. Okay, so looking at the American League, Again, I think this is a lot more infield heavy than the National League is when you're looking at potential Rookie of the Year candidates. And the first guy that I think is a good candidate, some of that depends on health, and I think that depends a little bit on some contract stuff going on. The first guy that I want to make sure that I mention, we touched on him in the last segment, but Colson Montgomery of the Chicago White Sox. We talked about him when we did our White Sox show. We have him as the number one prospect in the system. I have him as a top 10, top 15 prospect in all of minor league baseball. Again, I am holding him in my big money dynasty league. And so we'll put the card with the breakdown to all of his stuff right up here. Again, that was the Chicago White Sox prospect ranking show that we dropped on August 8th. Uh, I think the, the determinant there is going to be, there's two things. One, he's only played 46 games this season because of injury. And so, does he go to the Arizona Fall League to get a little bit of polishing and show that some of the positive changes he's made 
are sticking and he's ready for the bigs. And then two, what happens with Tim Anderson? You have one more year of contractual control for Tim Anderson. And second base has been a problem spot for the Chicago White Sox for a while. Elvis Andrews is your second baseman. You've tried Lennon Sosa there. It's been a revolving door of not great. And so at what point does the White Sox try to transition Tim Anderson maybe from short to second and install Colson Montgomery as the starting shortstop? You're going to have a whole new front office. And we don't really know the answers to this yet. But if that transition happens to open the year next year, you have to acknowledge Colson Montgomery as a good preseason favorite for Rookie of the Year. I think another guy that has a very good chance of Rookie of the Year, and it feels very early to talk about this, but we have to talk about him already. Shortstop Jackson Holiday, number one pick in 2022, and obviously has had an absolutely stupid, ridiculous season. Started off in A-ball, within just a couple weeks, was promoted to to high A, and then was promoted to double A in 101 games in the minors this year. 328, 449, 517. 10 home runs, 43 extra base hits, 82 walks to 95 strikeouts, and 21 to 29 on stolen bases. So the strikeout rate is just under one a game. 95 strikeouts in 101 games, but he's also got 82 walks in 101 games. The power production is very good. Again, 43 extra base hits. That's why the slugging's in the 500s. And I want to say he's got nine triples, which is absurd. And so he's showing you everything from an offensive perspective and a defensive perspective. They've played him a little bit at second and a little bit at third, but he's a true shortstop. And so as you're going into 2024, you're looking at a scenario where Jorge Mateo has reached arbitration. He started off incredibly hot this year and then just fell off an absolute cliff. And so do you look at a situation where you have old man Adam Frazier at second? I say old man, he's 32, but in baseball that feels old, especially for this team. You have Adam Frazier at second. A lot of times you have Gunnar Henderson at shortstop and Ramon Urias at third. Do you maybe work on something where your primary infield would be Gunnar Henderson at third, Jackson Holiday at short, and then Adam Frazier or some of these other fantastic infield prospects, a Jordan Westberg, maybe a Joey Ortiz, any of these guys, do you have them at second base? And just go full youth movement. Maybe Kobe May was at first base. Full youth movement here for the Baltimore Orioles. If Jackson Holiday gets up to start the year next year, and I feel like what's going to happen is he'll get the invite to spring tra- to Major League Spring Training, and it's all going to come down to how he performs there. And at this point, I find it really hard to bet against Jackson Holiday. I mean, he's... So far, he's met every single challenge. Uh, it's something the hit tool is at least a plus. The power is probably the only real question you have is where is the power ceiling? He's listed at six foot 185, probably above average to plus. Uh, he needs a little bit more refinement when it comes to high velocity, when it comes to uh, you know dealing with exceptional breaking stuff, but what 19-year-olds don't. He just looks like he is 
the best prospect in baseball, hence why he's number one consensus to everybody. And so it's entirely likely that they he plays his way onto the opening day roster for the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, another option that should have a chance to come up and start the year next year, and you probably would have seen this year if he had been healthy and then without the trade and some of the personal issues that were going on with his family, but Kyle Manzardo, now of the Cleveland Guardians. Something traded from the race to the Guardians in the Aaron Savali deal. He just is getting back into the lineup in AAA so that he's been playing partial games. He'll go seven innings for the Columbus Clippers, things like that, and then come out of the game. But the numbers are down this year from 2022. And part of that, as we've explained in the past, there's a lot of personal stuff going on in the family, health issues and things like that. Uh, But you can easily see where like you have... Right now, because of injury and things like that, your first base, like because Josh Naylor is still is injured still in rehab, your first baseman is Cole Calhoun. And so if you have a combination of, uh, of Josh Naylor and Kyle Manzardo up at the major league level, it gives you another low strikeout, high contact ability hitter in that lineup in Manzardo. It gives you the ability to not have to play Josh Naylor in the field every day. And it means that your DH can upgrade from somebody like a Will Brennan. Right now, the DH spot, going back and looking over the last week, it's been, we've been giving breaks to Jose Ramirez. We used Will Brennan at DH instead of playing him in right field. Oscar Gonzalez got two or three starts at DH. It's just rotating guys through. There's no consistent DH. Kyle Manzardo is going to give you some of the best defense at first base that you're going to see from any young player. And so you can put him at first base. It upgrades your infield defense. You can have Josh Naylor be your primary DH, and then you can cycle other guys through. As long as there's some sort of injury or somebody's not available, there's no questions you have to figure out as far as play, you know, play time for everybody. So I like Kyle Manzardo as an option for rookie of the year next year, simply because I think his contact ability is so fan- <clears throat> so fantastic. Looking at an outfielder here that I think may be an option. A guy we talked about in yesterday's show, and literally right after we finished recording, he got promoted from AA to AAA. But that's Evan Carter of the Texas Rangers. 97 games in AA this year, and he has not played in AAA as of time of recording. He has not played yet. But in those 97 games for Evan Carter, 284, 411 on base, 451 slugging, 12 home runs, 33 extra base hits, 74 walks to 103 strikeouts, and 22 of 32 on stolen bases. Your center fielder at the major league level has been Leody Tavares for a good portion of the year. In the corners, you've played Travis Janikowski and Robbie Grossman at left field. You've played Brad Miller in left field. You've played a lot of Ezekiel Duran played some outfield until he had to move into third base. You have an open spot in your outfield, right? Adolis Garcia has been fantastic in right field. He's been batting fourth almost every day. This has cycled through covering for some guys, left field and right field. Again, you've cycled guys through that left field thing. And so you can take Evan Carter and plug him in to your outfield next year, rather early in the year, enough time for him to get a full year of of service time. He is a top 100 prospect in at least two of the three lists. This means you now have some top flight plate discipline and you have a guy that has shown more power this year than he had in the past. 
I still don't necessarily know with that giant ballpark how much he'll hit for power, but he's got plus speed. He's got at least above average, if not plus defense. And so it's going to upgrade your outfield defense. It's going to give you a little bit more thump, but a higher batting average from your outfield. And it's going to give you the ability to stop having the revolving door of veteran retreads like a Robbie Grossman and Travis Janikowski in left field. So it's going to give you an all-around better defense and better offense in the outfield. Feels like a really good option there for Evan Carter, provided the AAA cameo goes well. In just a minute, it's hard to say a pitcher is going to win Rookie of the Year because they so seldomly don't. But there are some pitchers that you may see next year, and we'll talk about that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. Welcome back to Locked on MLB Prospects, talking about uh, candidates for Rookie of the Year in 2024. And looking at pitchers, again, I've we've been on the record. Uh, we've, said, we've said that we've had multiple people say this. We agree you need a separate Rookie of the Year award for pitchers. I believe it was Dave Roberts who first suggested this, and that's where I picked it up from. But call it the Fernando Valenzuela Award. That's fine. We just need something different than sticking them in the Rookie of the Year conversation because it's so incredibly hard for a starting pitcher to win Rookie of the Year. But uh, some options that you might see, just based on guys who have come up recently and have played well and or are on the doorstep. Uh, Kyle Harrison of the San Francisco Giants. He's made two starts this year, but in his home debut against the Cincinnati Reds, 11 strikeouts in six and a third innings. And I did not see 11 strikeouts in six and a third innings coming because he had barely broken five innings in so many of his minor league starts. Like he was rarely going past five innings. And then he comes out there, he opens the game with five straight strikeouts. He has seven through three and he just keeps cruising and he ends up with 11 strikeouts in six and a third innings. But his acclimation there, the way that he's been able to, just how good the stuff is, right? Now you have some walk concerns. You've had some questions there. His debut was like three and a third against Philly. He won walk, five strikeouts, gave up uh, five hits and two runs. But uh, Kyle Harrison has showed you that even against a good lineup in his debut in an unfriendly environment, he can hold his own, struck out five and three and a third innings. Struck out 11 in six innings against the Reds. I think Kyle Harrison has the potential, especially with how much that team needs actual starters, to have a good enough season next year to be in the Rookie of the Year conversation. Again, I don't think the pitcher is going to win. It feels like pitchers almost never win that, but he's going to be in the conversation. Another pitcher who I think will be in the Rookie of the Year conversation next year, or has the potential to be, is Emerson Hancock of the Seattle Mariners. They've called up so many young pitchers. He was the most recent. He came straight from AA Arkansas, and he's made three starts at the major league level. So in AA Arkansas, 11-5, ERA in 98 innings, 107 strikeouts, so 9.8 per nine, to 38 walks, 3.5 per nine, and nine home runs allowed. Now, in his three major league starts, no decisions, because he's only averaged four innings to start. He's 12 total innings. ERA of four and a half. 
He's given up one home run, six strikeouts, three walks. Uh, it's something where he's a very polished pitcher. I don't think the ceiling is as high as we thought it would be when he was the number six overall pick in 2020 after that lost season. But I absolutely do think that he has major league stuff. The fastball is above average to plus, depending on how well he's controlling it. Sits 93, 94. He can run it up to 96. He can throw it up in the zone. He can throw it down in the zone. Uses it really well. The changeup is at least a plus pitch. It's a fantastic changeup. And yes, I've been on the record before as saying uh, pitchers who are changeup heavy pitchers have a lower ceiling, just like sinker slider pitchers have a lower ceiling. But Emerson Hancock feels like it's if he can get that slider over the offseason to be a little bit better, then he's got legitimately three pitches and none of them are easy to square up. And provided that he can stay healthy and give you some depth, it feels like he would be in the conversation for rookie of the year. Again, probably wouldn't win because most pitchers don't, but he'd be in the conversation. Some other guys that you could easily see getting invites to spring training and just killing it and breaking camp with the team. Cade Horton of the Cubs. We love Cade Horton of the Cubs. He was my number one prospect in the Cubs system. Paul Skeens of the Pirates. Not because necessarily of recent performance. His first start in double A, or maybe second start, he didn't get out of the first inning. But he's considered to be so advanced and such a good pitcher that I don't think we can count out Paul Skeens having a good winter of work and coming in and seizing a job out of spring training for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Also, the thing you have to think about here is so many pitchers pop out of nowhere in the rookie of the year race. Going and looking at the American League and the National League, the pitchers that are in here, Tanner Bibby, we knew Tanner Bibby was good. We didn't know Tanner Bibby was third plate, third best odds in the American League for rookie of the year in late August good. It was something where that entire rotation feels like it's full of youth and he's been the most impressive one. National League Rookie of the Year, Andrew Abbott. He's still in the race because Corbin Carroll's run away with it. Again, minus 5,000. But there's only seven people who have odds and Andrew Abbott is still in there. And going into the season, if you had told me Andrew Abbott was going to be one of the finalists for Rookie of the Year, I wouldn't have believed you. Pitchers more so than any other position. You'll see guys in the offseason will make some sort of dramatic improvement or dramatic jump in stuff or in quality or in control or they'll add a new pitch and they'll come out of nowhere. It could be a top 100 prospect, could be a Mick Abel, something like that. It could be a non-top 100 prospect that builds off of a good end of 2023 or does some really good work in the offseason and comes out in 2024 looking like a machine, like a Richard Fitz of the New York Yankees. He may be a guy that because he's allowed, I think, one earned run in the entire month of August, he may end the year on a hot streak, he may have a good offseason of work, and he may turn around and be a top prospect, or he may turn around and be a uh, top rookie of the year candidate in 2024. Fantastic week this week. Couple more of our prospect rankings that we're dropping. We're planning on doing Oakland. We're planning on doing Arizona. We're going to actually do a crossover show with Millard from Locked On Diamondbacks. And the next week for Tuesday, we're going to drop the Tampa Bay Rays prospect rankings. In the meantime, if you have questions for Monday's mailbag, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked On Farm. You can email us, 
LockedMBProspects at gmail.com. We've got a Discord. We've got a subtext. Lots of ways to get them to us. Until then, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor league.